Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Uh, I'm so thankful that you're here today. We are in week eight of this series called 10 Words to Live By. We're reading through this book of the same name by Jen Wilkin, and we're really diving into the Ten Commandments. And our, the goal of the series is to, to help us to delight in God's law, delight in keeping his commands and his word. And so today we're in the seventh word, which is honor marriage. We'll be in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 here in just a few minutes. Um, and just looking around our church this morning in our first service and even in this service, uh, I know, what I recognize is that this may be a challenging topic for some of you as we, as we kind of dig into this. Um, you know, some of you, maybe you're unmarried or, you know, you're single and you go, well, it's, this is about marriage, so this doesn't necessarily apply to me. Maybe you've experienced a, a failed marriage for whatever reason. Uh, maybe you've been in a bad or an abusive marriage even. Maybe you're a, you're a widow or a widower. Uh, maybe you're in the middle of a struggling, difficult marriage. I know there's people in all kinds of, of places this morning. And I will say this, there are no perfect marriages and there are many different seasons of, of life. So I hope that today, no matter where you're at uh, on the spectrum, I hope you'll stick with us as we consider what the scriptures have to say today. I know that sometimes we can avoid or I can avoid or want to avoid things that are heavy. Uh, and so some of these things that we'll talk about today, I think are a little heavy, but sometimes we need, I believe the weight of God's word upon our life so that like Jake mentioned, we can expose sin or sinful behaviors or attitudes in our life so that he can by his grace change those things in us. And so let me kind of set the context before we jump into Exodus chapter 20 today. Uh, I just want us to remember that when these commands were given, uh, they were given you know, from God to Moses. They were etched, they were on the, he was on the mountain. They were etched in stone and brought to God's people, Israel. Uh, and they were given to his people who were learning how to be a new free nation. So God had freed Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and he's bringing them on this journey into this new promised land, Canaan. And so these laws, so we've heard these laws over and over and over throughout our life, lifetimes. These people are hearing these laws and are receiving these laws for the first time. And these laws were, were meant to uh, help them uh, learn how to live in relation to one another, how to live in community with God and with, with man. Uh, and so they needed this instruction. They needed these, these boundaries. Uh, these form the foundation of their community. And so these laws and these commands describe for us the way of life in the kingdom of God. When we live according to his law, we live on earth as it is in heaven. And Andrew mentioned that earlier. Uh, things just work better when we follow God's ways. And so it starts with, in these Ten Commandments, these first four are all about honoring God. It's all about our, our vertical relationship with the Lord. And then these last six words or commands talk about honoring our fellow man or our fellow neighbor, uh, those who are made in the image of God. And what we see, in, especially in these last six, is there's a, a little bit more of an emphasis on what I would call our closest neighbor, which is the people who live within our own home. 
right, within our family. It talks about in command number five to honor our father and mother. Uh, today in command number seven, we're going to address the, the husband and wife relationship, and it will go deeper than just the husband and wife relationship, but uh, we do address that this morning. And I believe the reason why God puts this little bit extra emphasis on the family is because the family unit is the building block of a healthy society. I think statistics will bear this out. I think that anecdotal evidence will show that, that this is, is true. The family unit is the building block of a healthy society. This is true in every culture because God established it this way from the beginning. And so healthy homes lead to healthy cultures. When, when families flourish, the surrounding culture flourishes. I think this is true. I think this rings true in a nation. I think it rings true in a community. I think it, it rings true in a church as well, that when families flourish, the, the culture flourishes. And I'll, I'll confess to you this morning, I had a hard time getting this sermon uh, down, putting the sermon together, uh, until I really came to this, this single thought and how it impacts everything uh, in our culture and even in our church. The, the reality is that if we as a church are going to have or maintain a healthy gospel culture, it, it's because we have healthy homes and healthy marriages and healthy families. In other words, this is, this is really personal, what we're talking about today. It impacts all of us. It impacts uh, us as a whole. Not that we're going to all have a great, happy home all of a sudden, as if one mediocre sermon can fix everything. Uh, but what I'm saying this morning is this, a lot is at stake here. A lot is at stake for you, for us. Uh, I've heard the phrase, no man is an island. Uh, I believe that about marriage. There's No marriage is an island. Every marriage, it doesn't just impact your home your household, it impacts your community, it impacts your church, it impacts far beyond just your individual home. When we honor marriage, we honor God, and we live in obedience and, and in line with his word, and in doing so, we, we live in the zone of blessing. And what I want for you and what I want for your home is for your home to be blessed, and I want your home to be a blessing. I want our church to be blessed. And I want our church to be a blessing. And so where we land on this and, and how we think about uh, marriage is, is so important. So I want to invite you all to stand with me. If you have your Bibles, grab that. Open it to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read together these first seven words. This is God's word. It is truth. It is life. God reveals himself to us through the pages of his book. And so uh, we're going to read this together. Exodus 20, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. And here's what the word of the Lord says. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. And then today, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. And so, Lord, this morning, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for giving us instructions and boundaries and wisdom, God, that we could live by. God, that we could order our lives by. And Lord, though many of the things that we see in these commandments are things that our culture and our world speak directly against and model a different way, God, we believe that your way is the best way. You are the designer. You are the creator. And so, God, our desire is to bring our lives and our thoughts and our behaviors in line with what you have revealed to be true and life-giving. And so, God, this morning, I pray that you would speak to us. God, I know that every single person in this room is in a different place and different season. Relationships look different for every single one of us, and background and history and all these things are different for all of us. But God, I pray that right where we're at today, that you would speak to us. God, I pray that where your word uh, lies heavy upon our hearts, God, I pray that you would bring insight and conviction, God, that you would bring repentance, Lord, that you would bring faith. Lord, I pray that you would, you would couch all of this in the goodness of your grace. Help us to see you and your hand at work. Um, God, help us to submit ourselves to you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all have a seat? Thank you for standing with me. So word number seven, you shall not commit adultery. As in all the other commands, God is not just prohibiting something, prohibiting us from one thing, but he's actually protecting and promoting a, a better way. He's calling us away from our sinful human tendencies, and he's calling us to his righteous, beautiful ways. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to define adultery. What is it? Uh, then we're going to address two big ideas, and then I'm going to try to give you some uh, some rapid-fire specific application, all right? So, number one, what is adultery? Let's define it. Uh, I looked this up at dictionary.com. Here is how it's, adultery is defined. Adultery is a consensual sexual relationship or encounter between someone who's married and a person they're not married to. A consensual sexual relationship or encounter between someone who's married and a person they're not married to. So at least one of the two parties is married, if not both. Uh, sometimes adultery is referred to as cheating or infidelity or not being faithful to. And those are words that could describe any relationship, but they certainly apply to this idea of adultery. Uh, it can be a one-time occurrence. You know, in that definition, it talks about an encounter. So it can be a one-time thing, or it can be an ongoing, long-term relationship. That's what we would refer to as an affair. All right, so it speaks to this as a consensual sexual relationship. I would even include a non-sexual yet intimate relationship, right? It's what we would call an emotional 
affair where we have gone after someone else in a relationship and with our affections. And so that is the definition. Here's how I would define it very simply, very practically, really spiritually. Here's how I would define it. Adultery is to go after another. To go after another. That could be with your body. It could be with your mind. It could be both. To go after another. Let me give you really the bottom line, and we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking this. Here's the bottom line for this morning. The seventh word calls us as holistic beings to honor marriage rather than devalue it. The seventh word calls us as holistic beings. What do I mean by holistic beings? I mean, uh, I mean every part of us, not just our bodies, but our minds, our hearts. In fact, the Bible, when it talks about our hearts, it, that encompasses our mind and our will and our emotions. And so as holistic beings, our hearts and our bodies, Uh, God calls us in this word to honor marriage rather than devalue it. Now, there's so many ways that we devalue it and our culture devalues it. We'll talk about it as we go. But but I just want to say this, married or not, wherever you find yourself this morning, how we view and treat the institution of marriage and how we view and treat our own marriage, for those of us who are married, is, is of utmost importance today. So here's... That's the definition. Let's talk about uh, the first big idea that we want to unpack. Marriage is holy, set apart. Holy literally means set apart, but I, I wanted to add that kind of for emphasis that God has established marriage. It is to be holy and it's to be set apart from every other relationship. Genesis t- chapter 2, we're going to go back to the beginning. and We've already kind of seen this throughout this series as we've gone back Um, through some of these words, I want to first look at the priority of the husband-wife relationship. The priority of the husband-wife relationship. So Genesis chapter 2, God has created the heavens and the earth, all that is in it. He creates man, Adam, the first man. He creates Eve, the first woman, out of uh, the rib of Adam. And so he brings them together for the first occasion of holy matrimony, right? He brings them together and he establishes this, this institution of marriage, Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, God speaking here, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. So the, the, the primary relationship in, in anybody's life, in the foundational, formational relationship is parent-child. Uh, and by the way, Adam and Eve at this point have not had a father and mother. So this isn't just for them. This is an ongoing stipulation. And this is the institution of marriage. We will leave father and mother, hold fast to his wife. So the primary relationship in life becomes this husband-wife relationship. And it says, and they shall become one flesh. There is this physical consummation of the marriage that these two are united as one. So God's definition of marriage from the beginning, one man plus one woman equals one flesh for one lifetime. This is God's original design. One man plus one woman equals one flesh for one lifetime. This is God's original intent. This is the first institution that God created before anything else. Um, It it came even before children. Y'all think about this. This this thought kind of hit me. That Adam and Eve were the only human beings who never experienced childhood. Like they never had to endure the fun of puberty, like teenage years. Uh, No, they came out fully grown. That's an interesting concept to like roll around in your brain, right? the, The first two humans came out fully grown. Uh, and, and God establishes 
marriage and this marriage relationship even before children come along. So there's this priority of the husband-wife relationship. And he gives them this instruction, leave your father and mother. Uh, we're still to honor them as word number five spoke to, but our primary uh, relationship and devotion and affection and all of that moves from father and mother to spouse. Leave your father and mother. Hold fast to your wife. This is what the King James, as it translates this verse, I love it. Leave and cleave. Leave your father and mother. Cleave to or become one with your wife. So there's this priority on the husband-wife relationship. Even Jesus, when he comes along in Matthew 19, he refers back to this original design for marriage, and he makes this statement in Matthew 19, verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh, this one flesh union. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So this is something that God honors as marriage. It's, he even sees it as a joining together of man and woman that he has, he has performed. And so there's a priority on the husband-wife relationship. Let me, let me talk about the, the picture of the church, the Christ-church relationship. So there's a priority on the husband-wife relationship, but this is ultimately a picture of Christ and the church, the relationship between uh, Jesus and those whom he has redeemed. So marriage is a picture of the gospel. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, this is a passage I read at every single marriage or wedding I perform because this is the, the richest, deepest, most complete passage on, on marriage in the scriptures. And you can go back to verse 21 or 22, but we'll read for sake of time verses 31 through 33. Ephesians 5, Paul says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, again quoting from Genesis 2, uh, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. So what Paul says here is, and throughout chapter 5, is this husband-wife relationship is ultimately a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Christ and his self-sacrificing love for his bride, the church. It's a picture of the church, the bride of Christ, who, who loves and submits to, follows uh, her groom. And there's this, this beautiful picture of marriage and ultimately is a reflection of the gospel. And so every single marriage is, is, a, is meant to be a reflection of the gospel, this relationship between Christ and the church. And throughout scripture, whenever, whenever God talks about his people going after other gods, you know how he refers to it? He refers to it as spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery, to go after other gods. When we break that first command that says, no other gods before me, we are an adulterous people. So there's this picture going on throughout the scriptures. And I want to take us to Hebrews chapter 13, verse number four. This is a pretty significant verse that we want to consider this morning. Hebrews 13. We're just going to read the first phrase here, and then we'll consider this for a couple minutes. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let marriage be held in honor among all. So how do we... So what it's calling us to is every single person, no matter who you are, to honor marriage. So how do we honor marriage? Well, we honor marriage by taking it seriously, 
not lightly. We see marriage as God sees it, not any more than, not any less than. We see marriage as God sees it. We don't think of it lightly. We don't speak of it lightly. We don't enter into it lightly. We don't exit it lightly. We don't define it or redefine it however we see fit. No, we honor what God has established. And I'll say this, I don't know that this is a very bold statement here, but I believe this is a true statement, that we live in a culture that doesn't really honor biblical marriage. One man, one wife, one husband, one wife, one flesh for one lifetime. Uh, We live in a culture that doesn't really honor biblical marriage, that doesn't really take it seriously, that devalues it. So let me make three statements how I see this to be true. Cohabitation is normal. Redefinition is fashionable. Permanence is optional. Cohabitation is normal. In other words, it's totally normal in our culture to live together before you get married. It's like the test drive, right? Let me see if I actually, if this works, if I like it, and then maybe, just maybe, we'll do something more permanent. Cohabitation is normal in our culture. That devalues marriage. Redefinition is fashionable. It is totally acceptable and normal in our culture to say, well, one man plus one woman, for one lifetime, I don't know. I think, I think there's more leeway there. I think there's more flexibility. So to redefine it is, is totally a normal thing these days. Permanence is optional. Now, I get this. I know that, that there are uh, allowances that the Scripture makes for divorce, and uh, I totally understand that. But as a culture, what our culture, what our world says is, hey, if you don't enjoy this, if it doesn't fit you or your lifestyle, if you fall out of love, get out of it and start over, or don't ever do whatever. Just, you can leave. It's, it's not permanent. Uh, so let me tell you about a, a, a billboard. Let's talk about righteous indignation. We talked about last week, righteous anger. There's a billboard. If you drive up, maybe you've seen it, driving up 77 on your way to Charlotte, uh, there's a billboard somewhere around Rock Hill that I'm telling you, it gets my blood boiling every time I see it. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's put on by a, a divorce attorney or a divorce, you know, a, a, a firm that specializes in divorce. And the, the, the billboard says this, life is short, get a divorce. And every time I see that, I'm telling you, I get angry. It is the anger of the Lord that, that comes up in me. That's a righteous anger because it's our culture saying, hey, it doesn't matter. Life is short. Have fun. Get out of this. And, and again, I get it. I understand there are allowances. I, I understand that. But as a culture, we've said, mm, we devalue marriage. And God has called us to honor marriage. This is a big deal. Marriage is holy. It is set apart. It's been created and established by God. And when I think about it, like, man, we're 2,000, 3,000, however many thousand years removed from the giving of, you know, the law. And it's just been generation after generation after generation saying we don't value marriage. We don't value the family the way that God originally intended it. And that is the world that we live in. But marriage is wholly set apart. Here's the second big idea that I want us to explore this morning. 
is whether you're married or not, we are called to be holy, set apart. Marriage is, is holy and set apart, but we as people are called to be holy, to be set apart. Let's go back to Hebrews 13, verse number four, that starts out by saying, let marriage be held in honor among all. So we're to honor marriage. But here's what it says in, in the second part of verse four. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. So, when we look at the seventh word, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, I know where my mind goes. The first place my mind goes, maybe it's the first place your mind goes. When we think about adultery, we think about the physical act of, of sex, right? This physical encounter, this physical uh, sexual relationship. Uh, and and that we even saw that in the definition. That's, that's kind of baked in there. I, I will say this, at the, at the heart of marriage is intimacy. It's, it's relational intimacy. It's also physical. It's, it's what Genesis 2 talks about, this one flesh union. And so our minds go to, to this, this idea of, of sex. And, and let me say this, because maybe you've never heard this in church. Maybe you are horrified to even hear this in church. But I'm going to say it. Sex is good. And it is holy, and it is beautiful, it is glorious when it is, functions the way that God designed it. God created it. It's part of physical intimacy that was, that was reserved for one man and one woman, a husband and a wife. And I would say that the church, maybe down through the years, has spoken wrongfully when it comes to, to this subject of sex that we get this idea that sex is bad and sex is dirty. And that's why when we mention the word sex in church, you're like, hey, we're not supposed to talk about that in public. No, it's, a, it's an incredible and a beautiful thing as designed by God. But it has its, its boundaries and it has its, its place. It's, the, the world is, is the one who has defiled this idea of sex. So Hebrews 13, verse 4, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Hebrews 13.4 states clearly what we really we see throughout the pages of Scripture, and it's this. Sexual activity is reserved for one space, the marriage bed. Sexual activity is reserved for one space, the marriage bed. Every other space is out of bounds. Now, lest you take me very literally this morning, that doesn't mean that, hey, when you got married, you said, this is our marriage bed and this is the only place where we can have sex and some of you are like does that mean the living room the kitchen and all those places are out of bounds that's not what I'm saying all right I think the Lord gives you liberty if you're a man and a woman bound in marriage all right so take that and run with it okay some of you are like man honey the futon is out ah darn whatever okay I'm gonna let that husband and wife you discuss amongst yourself later all right what we're talking about this one space, the marriage bed, we're talking about the, the space between husband and wife, one husband, one wife, one flesh for one lifetime. This is the only space where sexual activity is reserved for. Every other space, every other relationship, every other activity outside of that is sin. It is against God's original Design. Now, that includes a lot of, of things. So there's an old 
English Bible word, if, if, if you've used or currently use the King James translation, you'll recognize this old English word for you know, sexual immorality. The word is fornication. All right, that's a good preacher word. Don't fornicate, right? Fornication. Let me teach you the word, the Greek word, the New Testament Greek word behind that. The word is porneia. Porneia. Does that look familiar? Pornography is, is we derive that word from this. This, this. this word porneia is any sexual activity outside of the marriage relationship. Any sexual activity outside of the marriage relationship is considered porneia. If it's sexual in nature and it's not with the person you're married to, it's porneia. Right, that includes a lot of things. So someone might say, or you might say, well, what if there's just foreplay and touching and intimacy, but we didn't, we didn't actually go all the way. We didn't actually commit the act. Porneia. Porneia. Hey, we're just friends with benefits. That's one of the dumbest phrases I've ever heard in my life. That is porneia. Right? If it's outside of marriage, it's porneia. Looking at pornography. It's, hey, it's not hurting anybody else. It's porneia. Homosexuality, porneia. It's outside of God's bounds. One man, one woman. Maybe you'd say, hey, we're engaged. We're getting ready to get married. And so, you know, we're going to do it anyways. It's not a big deal. Porneia. Maybe you'd say, I'm, I'm separated. We're going to get divorced. What's it matter to hook up with somebody else? Porneia. It all falls into this category. Any sexual activity outside of biblical marriage is pornea. It's a violation of God's design. It is sin. This is what we're talking about here. All of this devalues marriage and defiles the marriage bed. And you may say, oh, I'm not married. It's the marriage bed that God has designed you to live in purity in. All of this devalues marriage and defiles the marriage bed. This command is so much more challenging, isn't it, than just the surface level, than just don't commit adultery. It calls us to this expansive obedience. Jesus, just like he did, we saw last week in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, he's, he's addressing the subject of murder, and he says, hey, it's more than just killing somebody. If you have, if you have harbored hatred in your heart, you've, you've committed murder. He does the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Jesus speaks these words. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa, so Jesus like goes straight to the heart. He says adultery is, is not just a physical act. Uh, it extends beyond that. It goes to the heart that we commit adultery when our hearts go after another. He says this is, this is sin. This is lust. So what is lust? Let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, this is important, an important question to ask. What is lust? I think the, the English Standard Version of the Bible, the one that, that I'm using and we've got on the screens, is, is helpful in this translation. It's, Jesus says, uh, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. Lustful intent. I think that's an important phrase. So what it's speaking to is that there's a desire there. there there's a desire within. So you can notice someone... 
you can uh, appreciate uh, you know, their beauty. You can think, man, that person is attractive. Maybe you've pulled this card before. In my less mature days, I was like, you know what? I'm just admiring the beauty that God has created, right? She's a beautiful person, the handiwork of God. And so I'm, wor- I'm actually worshiping God as I think about the beauty of this young lady, right? Mm. It, there's a, it extends beyond a look to where it lingers in our heart and the desire develops within our, our heart when it turns into a desire, when you act further upon it in your heart or in your mind or with your body, when you act further than just a look, just a glance, this would be what we call lust. This is when it turns into to, to sin. So let me give you a quick example. We don't have time to go there. Second Samuel 11, if you know the story of King David, King David, who should have been out at war with his, with his people. He was on the rooftop, just kind of hanging out at home, and he, he looks and he sees, it says, uh, a beautiful woman named Bathsheba that was bathing. Now, I actually went back and looked at this text. It says nothing about Bathsheba being naked. It just says he saw a woman who was beautiful. And so I would even argue that there wasn't necessarily sin at this point. He saw her. He saw that she was beautiful. But the next verse, I believe it's verse 3, it says that he inquired. He sent someone to inquire and then brought her to him. And then he ended up having sexual relationship with her. But I would say that was when it became sin. It went beyond a look. It became a linger to where he desired and he acted upon it. So there is a point there when it, where can you look at somebody, see somebody like, man, you, you're going to have to do what he says later on in Matthew 5 and gouge out your eyes if you want to eliminate being able to see someone who is attractive. But he says, no, when it, when it gets into your heart is when it becomes sin, lustful intent. Uh, I would even expand this, this lustful intent beyond physical to what I would call emotional lust. Let me talk about this for a second. To, to look at another man or woman and wish your spouse was like that. I would call that emotional lust. And that may kind of overlap with the, the 10th command to not covet. Um, but I think there's lustful intent there, a longing and a lusting for another in your heart. So this really covers all of us. This, this covers looking at images or video and wishing your wife looked like that. That also includes reading a romance novel or watching a romance movie and wishing your husband was like that. I would put that all in this category of, of lust, wanting something, this desire that's, that's for someone else, going after another. And as God's people, those of us who have been saved, we've been redeemed by by the blood of Christ, God has called us to be holy as he is holy. And, And we know this. It's super challenging to live a holy life because we are broken, sinful people living in a broken, sinful world. And 1 John 2, we won't get there, but verses 15 and 16, it talks about everything that's in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And so absolutely this makes it challenging us for us, for, challenging for us to live a holy life in a broken world. Now, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've heard this morning. I don't know if you're feeling beat up, if you're feeling convicted or condemned or guilty. If any of those are true, join the club, right? 
because none of us go unscathed in, in any of this. And so what now? What do we do with what we see? How do we live in light of what we see here? So let me, let me make some specific application. I'm going to run through some things, and, and I just want to encourage you in this. There's a lot of stuff I'm going to kind of rapid fire go through. If you hear something that God like speaks to your heart, mark it down. Let him use that in your life this week. Let it bring you to repentance and faith. But I just want to start by saying this. First of all, the good news, wherever you're at, is that God is gracious and God is forgiving. So no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, when we feel a conviction of sin in our heart, we can repent. We can turn away. We can turn to the Lord. We can't undo. We can't redo. But by God's grace, uh, we can turn to the Lord and allow him to change our heart and allow him to change the way that we live from this moment on. That is the good news in all of this. With God's help by his spirit within us, we can honor marriage from this point on. And that's what I'm calling us all to. But let me speak specifically to the unmarried or really this is for all of us. I don't want anybody to, to tune out at this moment. This is for all of us. A couple thoughts on this. Number one, keep your eyes and affections on the Lord. I know these are simple statements, but let them weigh on you. Keep your eyes and your affections on the Lord. On the Lord. So let me walk through four things and four verses. Again, this is going to be quick. Uh, Make a covenant. Job 31. Job said this, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? So Job made this decision. He made this, he had this awareness of what gazing upon a virgin would cause in his heart. And so he said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. It's kind of this language that means really I made a covenant with God and, and, and myself that God, I'm not going to look. I'm going to guard my eyes. I'm going to be careful about what I set in front of my eyes. Some of you have never made an intentional decision to, to guard what comes in through your eye gate. And today, maybe you just need to make a covenant. God, I I don't want to look at those things anymore. I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to gaze upon these things that draw my heart away. So make a covenant. Here's the second thing. Flee. Flee. 2 Timothy 2, 21 through 22, Paul tells young Timothy, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So if you want to be a vessel that's, that's holy and honorable and useful to God, verse 22, flee youthful passions, flee youthful passions. I used to wonder why it was just like, hey, youthful passions, why does he use that specific phrase? But I think some of us in our youth, we think, hey, when I get married, um, when I have sex, when I like get older, more mature, I'm not going to deal with these same youthful lusts that I had as a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old. But for those of you that are up in age, you go, hmm, those youthful lusts kind of like keep on going. I'm not so young anymore, but those youthful lusts, as long as we're in our flesh, keep hanging on. And so he says, flee youthful lusts or, or passions and this is important, pursue righteousness. One of the ways you flee is to pursue after righteousness and faith and love and peace. Here's maybe one of the most important phrases that we miss, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This is why we talk about having community so much, 
because there's almost nobody, I would, I would hazard a guess, there's no human being that can escape the darkness of temptation and lust and all of those things on their own. We do this. We flee youthful passions. We pursue righteousness along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We need brothers and sisters around us to encourage us and help us and walk with us to be life-giving like we talked about last week. So flee. Flee and pursue. Here's number three, and these all kind of overlap, but put to death. Put to death. Jen Wilkin in her book addresses this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but Colossians 3.5, Paul says, put to death, kill, mortify, therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, that's porneia, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. It's not enough just to try to put it aside. Man, he says, put it to death. Kill this. This is an ongoing battle in your life to put these things to death, what is earthly in you. As long as we are on this earth, we're going to be seeking to put to death what is earthly in us. So put it to death. And really, this is, I believe, the only way we can do this. This fourth thing is, is this. Let God's goodness gratify you. Let God's goodness gratify you. So going after another, whether it's in our mind, with our heart, with our bodies, we're, we're, we're seeking gratification, right? Let God's goodness be the thing that gratifies, gratifies you and satisfies you. Psalm 37, the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. There, there is an old... Scottish minister in like the 1800s. His name was Thomas Chalmers, and he wrote this book by this title, but he, he used this phrase, the expulsive power of a new affection. So, so what this means is, you know, I have these affections, these loves, these things that, that, that I pursue with my heart, these affections. The only thing that's going to replace that current affection is a greater, stronger, new affection. This new affection, what he's referring to is the, the love of Christ, that that is the thing that will expel my affection for these lesser loves and these lesser desires in my life. I've heard it said this way, Brendan Manning and, and others have said this, I don't know who it originated with, but I have been seized by the power of a great affection. I've been seized by the power of a great affection. What that means is, man, I have these desires and these affections that are strong and they're powerful. The only thing that's going to displace those affections in my heart and in my life is a greater affection. A greater satisfaction that only comes from Christ. I've been seized by the power of a great affection. And this is why I say delight in the Lord. Because, you know, the only way that you're going to get out of the stuff or the, the attitude or the mindset you have or the looking at stuff or whatever it is, is to be seized by a greater affection, a greater love that expels or pushes out those lesser loves. And so delight yourself in the Lord. So, Unmarried, all of us, keep your eyes and affections on the Lord. Second, and this is a simple statement, but pursue the Lord primarily. Pursue the Lord primarily. He is your first pursuit. Some of you, you're trying to get out of the stuff you're in or away from the way you're thinking, and you're not pursuing after the Lord. This goes back to 2 Timothy 2. 
pursue the Lord primarily. Does that mean you can't pursue a cute, godly, potential mate? And I mean, go for it, right? But make that secondary to pursuing the Lord. So married, let me, let me just speak. Same thing. Same things for you uh, if you're married. Uh, but let me add a couple thoughts. Number one, keep your eyes and affections on the Lord and on your spouse. This is the one that God has brought to you. That, that phrase, I've only got eyes for you. Make that a true statement. I only have eyes for you. My heart is for you. My affection is for you on the Lord and your spouse. But here's the second thought. I just want to camp out in for just a moment. Pursue the Lord. Yes, you know that if you're married, pursue the Lord and pursue your spouse. So I just want to talk for a second to the married people in the house that God has called us to pursue our spouse. That means emotionally and relationally. That means physically and sexually. Pursue your spouse. This is the exact opposite of adultery. Adultery, remember, is to go after another, whether it's with your mind or with your body. To pursue your spouse is to honor marriage and to honor the marriage bed. We are called to pursue our spouse emotionally, physically, in all the ways. I would argue this as a general rule. I know there are exceptions to this, all right? There's certainly exceptions to this, but I would argue that as a general rule, if you are married and you never pursue your spouse relationally or physically, you are not honoring marriage. I know there's exceptions, again, but if you never pursue your spouse relationally in a relationship, if you never pursue them physically, you are not honoring marriage because God has called you to be more than a roommate to share a house or a room or a bed. God has called you to be one flesh. So if you're married, pursue the Lord, pursue your spouse. So this seventh word, it calls us again as holistic beings, hearts and minds and body, calls us to honor marriage rather than devalue it. Let me read one quote and we'll wrap up. J.I. Packer says this, the commandment, against adultery calls us to appreciate the beauty and sacredness of marriage and to be faithful stewards of the gift of human sexuality. Calls us to appreciate the beauty and sacredness of marriage and to be faithful stewards of this gift of human sexuality. All right, let me end with this thought. We all need God's grace in all of this. Amen. We all need God's grace in all of this. We all fall short. We all sin. And so wherever you are on the spectrum today of all the stuff that we've talked about, uh, I want you to know that grace is available. Grace is available. That if you're convicted by anything today, you can repent. If you've fallen short by God's grace, you can get up and try again. And by his spirit, you can have victory. I want you to hear that again. Don't just let that come in and out. You can have victory. It's not impossible. I know it seems like it at times. Yes, it's a constant battle, but you can have victory. With God's word, God's spirit, with God's people, it is possible to live victoriously. And here's the very last thought that I want to share, and then I'll shut up is that we have a God who is 100% committed to you. 
He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never go after another. What he wants is your heart. He will never be unfaithful to you. He will be faithful to you to the end. And so, Lord, may we be this kind of people. Faithful to you, faithful to how you've created us and designed us. God, may we in our hearts and with our lives honor marriage. May we with our hearts and our minds and our bodies strive to live holy as you are holy by your spirit in us. God, may we put to death earthly in us. May we pursue righteousness along with those who call on you out of a pure heart. Lord, I pray for each person in this room. God, wherever we need to feel the touch of grace this morning, God, would you help us? God, where we've fallen short, would you help us to be honest with ourselves and with you? forgiveness. May we repent and turn ourselves to you this morning. God, I'm convinced that what we do in this area, how we honor marriage in our minds, in our hearts, with our bodies, in our homes, in our church, God, will impact eternity. And so, God, would you help us to see this, to see all of these things as, as you see it. Help us to see marriage. Help us to see our whole own holiness. Help us to see all these things as you see it. God, help us to see ourselves as you see us, created in your image and worthy of, of love and value because you have declared it so, because you have set your love upon us. And so, Lord, even if there's one here this morning that doesn't know you, that has never received your unfailing, steadfast love, God, may today be the day that they surrender their heart to you receive your love. God, thank you for who you are, all that you've done this morning. We just, we look to you and your, your good work on the cross and your good design for us, and we want to submit ourselves to you. We love you, and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name.